Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. And once again, thank you for praying for me, and I've been praying for you. It's a blessing that we can have that app on our phone. Hopefully you have that downloaded, and you can see those who are members of this church, those whom you are to be praying for. And so I'm thankful that even though we can be far away, our Lord is near and he hears. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our text this morning is verse 12 through 19. This passage deals with some very deep doctrinal truth. And so as we begin this morning, I thought I would ask a question. And that is, does doctrine really matter? Our church has a doctrinal statement. I mean, does it really matter that we have a doctrinal statement? Doctrine really is the teachings of the church, what we believe the scripture teaches about who God is and how God works, what God has done, what our response should be. That's what doctrine is. But is it really necessary for us to hold tightly to that? Should we be dogmatic about that? Does it really matter? How essential is the doctrine of something like the virgin birth? Or how essential is the doctrine of Christ's deity? Does our claim to the inerrancy of scripture, is it really that important? I mean, does it really matter that Jesus physically rose from the tomb? Does it, does it really matter if we believe that we will have a physical resurrection? And what is the answer to all of that? The answer is yes, it does matter, right? Those doctrines do matter. What you believe, that is your doctrine, what you believe determines how you will live. That's your practice. What you believe determines how you will live. And much of Christianity, though, people see, many Christians see doctrine as something that gets in the way of practical living. Some ideas out there are we need to get rid of doctrine, stop talking about doctrine, and just love one another. And that could be nothing further from the truth. It could be that's something that is false. Doctrine determines how you think and therefore how you live. And the reality is, the idea that you should get rid of doctrine, well, everybody has doctrine. Everybody has a view of God. Everybody has a view of themselves. The question is not if you have doctrine. The question is, is your doctrine biblical? Is it according to God's word? There's a very helpful book that's called Know the Truth. This book says this. Theology is not for a few religious eggheads with a flair for the abstract debate. It is everybody's business. Getting doctrine right is the key to getting everything else right in life. That's how important doctrine is. Tim Keller said this, to say doctrine doesn't matter, only how you live matters, is itself a doctrine. Ponder that one. It's a truth statement that you're making. And it's a doctrine of salvation by works. Isn't that interesting? 
meditate on that one throughout this week. So you have a doctrine. The world has a doctrine. Everyone has a view of God and of, their sel- of themselves. And the question is, is your doctrine biblical? Is it correct? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19, Paul addressed that. And basically what Paul wrote here is that some of you in the church, you've adopted some of the doctrines of the world. The world has so influenced you that now you are believing some of the tenets of the doctrines of the world. You see, in the Greco-Roman culture, they did not believe in the resurrection of the body from the grave. They thought that was foolishness. Plato taught that the body was evil and the spirit was good. So when you die, your evil body is done, and now you have your good soul, and that continues on. Socrates viewed death as the time when the real me is realized, because your body's gone, and then your soul is released from the body. And so the idea of a bodily resurrection in the Greco-Roman culture was foolishness. It was laughed at. I mean, except for some sects of, of Judaism, the resurrection of the body from the grave was almost non-existent in religions. So here these Christians come and they say they have a savior who has risen from the dead. And they say that we someday will die and our bodies will be resurrected from the grave. And that's laughed at. But evidently some Christians in Corinth actually adopted those cultural doctrines as their own. In fact, look in verse 19, you can see that. I'm sorry, verse 12. Look in verse 12, you can see that. Paul identifies this false doctrine. And here he says, verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, what do they say? That there is no resurrection of the dead. So there were some in the church that started to believe that, and they held to that. And Paul taught that that's false doctrine. That's wrong. That's the doctrine of this world. And then in verses 13 through 19, he demonstrated the devastation of denying gospel truth. The devastation of denying gospel truth. And if you put aside gospel truth, like bodily resurrection from the grave, it's like taking a 5,000-pound wrecking ball to the foundation of the gospel. All of it will crumble and fall down. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, 12 through 19, Paul contends that if you deny gospel truth like bodily resurrection, then Christianity is meaningless. We might as well just pack it up, go home, let's, let's eat, let's drink, let's be merry, for tomorrow we may die, and that's the end. And also, Christianity is not only meaningless, but your future is hopeless. And what I want to do this morning is I want to demonstrate from this text that the Bible teaches in bodily resurrection from the tomb, from the grave, but also even beyond that, I want to do what what I think Paul is doing here, and that is demonstrating the importance of doctrine and the danger of sitting under teaching and preaching that is not doctrinally sound and even allowing yourself to be influenced by the doctrines of this world, which can lead you to deny the gospel truth. Let me illustrate this with something from 
100 years ago. There's a book, or sure, there's an article by Kevin DeYoung. It's called Harry Emerson Fosdick. It's about a pastor in New York City. On May 21st, 1922, Pastor Fosdick preached a sermon. It's a famous sermon today. You might not have heard of it, but it's one that Christian historians speak of. He was preaching at the first Presbyterian church in Manhattan. Some, some people have said that Harry Emerson Fosdick was one of the most prominent preachers of the 20th century, most influential upon the church and seminaries and denominations. He taught at Union Theological Seminary. He eventually went on to pastor the mega church in, at Riverside Church in New York City that was funded by John D. Rockefeller Jr. So if you heard of that name, he was a pastor eventually at that church funded by that very wealthy man. In that sermon, he said this quote that you see on the screen up here in this 1922 sermon. He said, there are many opinions in the field of modern controversy concerning which I am not sure whether they are right or wrong. Basically, he's saying people have doctrinal positions. I don't know if that's right or wrong. I don't know if we can determine that, which, again, is a doctrine itself, right? And actually, what's that doctrine called? It's called postmodernism, right? <laughs> it's like we can't really know what's true and what's not true. That's what he's saying here. But there is one thing I am sure of. Courtesy and kindness and tolerance and humility and fairness are right. Opinions may be mistaken. Love never is. Doesn't that just sound so warm and fuzzy? You know, it's like doctrine doesn't matter. All that really matters is love. But church, the foundation of love is what? Doctrine. <laughs> we have a God who is love, who sent his son because of love. Well, this influence that he had and men like him so corrupted the church in the 1930s and 20s and 30s and 40s that many denominations and seminaries and churches rejected these essential gospel truths and really was adopting what the world believed. I mean, really what you see with this pastor and many of these seminaries, they were saying, what, what does the world believe? We kind of want to fit in with the world. And so they did. And in the end of the day, most, if not all, of those denominations and seminaries went completely theologically liberal, which means today most of them don't preach the gospel. We have some of those type of churches in Simi Valley that are from those denominations, and they might talk about Jesus, they might fly the Christian flag, but they fly other flags too. The point is, they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does someone get there? Well, it's by denying, it's by putting aside essential gospel truth. And if you deny gospel truth like bodily resurrection, then Christianity is meaningless and your future is hopeless. And that's what Paul is arguing here. Now, all of that was my introduction. <laughs> because I really want us to grasp onto what Paul is saying. I want to, want to take this passage and say, how does this apply to our lives here today? You see, we're talking about gospel truth. In fact, look in verse number 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 3. And you can see he says, For I delivered to you as of 
first importance. He's saying there are certain convictions, gospel convictions that you must have in order to be a Christian. These are of first importance, utmost importance. And if you remember from a number of weeks ago, we preached and taught through 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. Do you remember that? We talked about different levels of convictions and you have the, the highest level of convictions are essential gospel convictions. And I put this in your bulletin so you can remember this and you can maybe have this if you lost it. But this is what this passage is talking about right here. These gospel convictions. These are the convictions you must have to be a Christian. And that's found in verses 1 through 10. Remember those gospel convictions are the good news. It's the good news about what Jesus has done for us. And what is the good news? What's the good news? It's that God saves through saving faith in Christ, right? It's that God saves based upon the saving truth about Christ, that he died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. And it's, it's that God saves by the grace of Christ, and so remember these different tiers. You had gospel convictions. Under that, you had these urgent doctrinal convictions. Those are the convictions that we must have together as a church, that we agree on as a church. And then last of all, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 actually is about that last tier, and that is personal convictions. Those are those convictions of which we have the freedom to differ from one another. And so this morning, we're dealing with the devastation of denying gospel truth those essential gospel truths. In fact, even in 1 Corinthians 1 through 11, you can see some of those. What are some of those essential gospel truths in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 10, 1 through 11 there? What are those essential gospel truths? Well, you have the atonement in there, right? He died for our sins. You have the sufficiency of scripture. It's according to the scripture. It's, there's the scripture's authority and its accuracy, you have, of course, the deity of Jesus Christ, and then you have the bodily resurrection of Christ from the tomb. And so let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses, and I'm actually going to start in verse 11, and we're going to go down to verse number 19. Would you stand with me as I read God's word out loud? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 11, and then we're going to go down through verse 19. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will help us to understand this text. A lot of logic, 
a lot of brain power, but Lord, most importantly, we need your Holy Spirit's illumination to help us to understand the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul presents six devastating results of denying essential gospel truth like bodily resurrection. And the first you can see in verse number 12 is if you deny gospel truth like bodily resurrection, then Jesus is dead and he cannot save you. Now, did some of you take logic in high school? Or maybe if you went to college, you took a class of logic in college. Okay. Did you enjoy that? Some people love logic. Some people hate that class of logic. Okay. And some people do both. Okay. That was probably me. I was probably both. Sometimes I was like, I'm really enjoying this. And other times I was hitting my head against the desk, not understanding what the teacher was talking about. But logic is so important. It's valuable for us to understand to comprehend the truth. And so what Paul does here is he presents propositional logic of if-then statements. So he wants you to think. He wants you to comprehend the truth of the gospel here. So look at verse number 12. Notice these if-then statements. Now if Christ is proclaimed as risen from the dead, so that's Paul preaching that Jesus has been bodily resurrected. Like when he was resurrected, he came out with a real body. It was flesh. Like his body took up space. People could touch his body. He could eat. He could drink. He had compassion. Like he is truly human. So he's saying if we preach that, which we do, then, verse 12, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? What he's saying is it doesn't make sense your conclusion isn't logical. So verse 13, he demonstrates this. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead. So remember what he's talking about here. He's saying some people in the church believed and some of the culture, or I should say definitely the culture believed that once your body dies, that's the it. That's it. That's the end. You get cremated or you put, be put in the ground and you don't get a body after that. Either you're completely gone or your soul continues on without a body. And he's saying, that's wrong. That's not right. But some of them believe that. So he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. When I was younger, I was standing in my yard, the yard of my house, and my family had just received a puppy. And actually, my sister got it for her birthday. And it was kind of a rat little dog. So it was, but it was a puppy still, so it was kind of cute. And uh, I was out there letting the dog go to the bathroom. And suddenly, I turned around, and standing there was my third grade teacher. Now, I wasn't in third grade at the time, but this was the lady who was my third grade teacher a couple years ago. And that was kind of surprising to see. I'm in the middle of the country of Indiana. You know, you don't people usually don't stop by and say hi. And so she said to me, asked, do you have a cat? And I said, you know, no, we don't have a cat. And she says, oh, okay, well, I just hit somebody's cat. I said, oh, that's really sad. So, you know, I'm a, a young man, so I want to go see this cat. So I go over, and, and I look at the cat, and it's not a cat. It's a puppy. Yeah, my third grade teacher killed my puppy. So we went out in the field and dug a hole and put the dog in there and covered it up, and that was it. <laughs> and, you know, I never thought about going out to that hole and thinking, 
puppy, are you going to come out of here? Like, once that puppy was dead, it's gone, right? And my parents didn't tell me, as some parents do, that the puppy will have a new body and he'll be with you in heaven, okay? I know that probably breaks some of your heart to realize that's not true. But, but the point is, is that we realize when animals die, their bodies go in the ground. They don't get a new body. Like, that's the it. Like, that's the end, right? That's it. And so Paul here is saying that some in Corinth viewed their own death in that way. It's like when their body dies, that's it. It's like nothing happens after that. Maybe your soul goes on, but... And he's saying in verse 13 that if that's true, then that means Christ didn't really rise from the dead. That's, it's impossible for him to do that. And if, if there's no bodily resurrection, if that's not possible, then Jesus died, his bones are still somewhere in the earth, and he was a loser. He didn't defeat death. He didn't truly win. What this verse is telling us here, what the logic of, of verse 13 is saying, is if there's no resurrection from the dead, Jesus didn't rise, and he's no savior. He can't save you from anything because he died and he's still dead. If you deny essential gospel truth like bodily resurrection, number two, your faith in God's word is worthless. Notice verse 14. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Jesus' body didn't truly resurrect from the grave, then the preaching of the gospel is in vain. It's worthless. That word vain means empty. There's no point. When I was at one of these camps, I went to the middle of the camp, and they had this water fountain. It was actually by the boys' cabins. And uh, I went to this water fountain and tried to work it and turn it on, and no water came out. What's the point of having a water fountain without water, right? This water fountain hasn't worked for years. In other words, that water fountain is vain. It's pointless. It's meaningless. There's no point in having it there. It's not even pretty. It was ugly. <laughs> or think about it this way. It's like fishing in a lake without fish. And sometimes I feel like that's what I'm doing when I fish because I don't ever catch anything. We go to this little pond over here by the golf course, and I've fished in there so many times. I never caught a thing in there. And I'm convinced there's no fish in there. Some people say there is. But you think about someone fishing in a pond or a lake that has no fish. I mean, guaranteed, right? No fish. That'd be pointless, meaningless. We've had this little, what we call lake lighthouse out here, you know, when it rains, you know. And I've had some of my children who have said, they've never tried it, but we should go fishing, right? We realize that would be not very intelligent because there's no fish in there. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, if Jesus died and his body was not resurrected, then it's pointless what we're doing. I'm, I'm wasting my time right now. And it's actually, you're wasting your time by reading God's word and trusting God's word. God's word isn't trustworthy then. I mean, because ultimately, our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is faith in the authority and truthfulness of the Bible. And so if Jesus didn't truly rise from the dead, then what are we trusting this for? Like, let's put it away and let's go and live life how we want to. And that's how important the gospel truth is. It actually affects our faith in God's word. Union Theological Seminary is in New York City. It was founded in 1836. 
and was founded, quote, on the infallible word of God. And that, at that time, they believed in Jesus' resurrection from the tomb. They believed that Christ died for our sins. They believed in the virgin birth. Today, though, according to ChristianHeadlines.com, the president of Union Theological Seminary, Mrs. Jones, doesn't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, doesn't believe in a literal heaven, nor miracles. And this is what she said in, in one interview. God is beyond our knowing. Now that sounds so smart, doesn't it? But just think about what she's saying. God, in other words, you can't really know God. Just put away the Bible. Just, he, she goes on to say, not a being or an essence or an object. I don't worship an all-powerful, all-controlling, omnipotent, omniscient being. That is a fabrication of Roman theory and Greek mythology. And so when she was asked, well, how can you consider yourself a Christian if you don't even believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the tomb? She said, that's a good question. You sound a lot like me, and I'm a Christian minister. And, and not to be mean, but just to be frank, she's not a Christian. You, can, you, cannot believe, you, you cannot deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and be a Christian. And she's not a minister. I mean, she's serving herself, but not serving the church or the Lord. But I, I give this illustration because, church, we are in the minority. In our view of doctrine, like what she's talking about is the majority of seminaries, of denominations, of churches. And so what we're talking about here today is relevant because this is what's going on in our world so if you deny essential gospel truth like bodily resurrection, then your faith in God's word is worthless. And then number three, that means also all eyewitnesses, the apostles, the prophets, and preachers have lied to you. They're liars. Look at verse number 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are not even found, or I'm sorry, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And so what these verses are saying here is that if we deny the resurrection, it's saying that they all lied to us. The apostles believed lies and they told lies. I mean, it's saying that those individuals that witnessed in verse 5, 6, and 7 of chapter 15, those witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, they're all liars. Peter, the apostles, they, they, they gave up their jobs. They gave up their lives. They even died for a lie. That's what it's saying. So if you deny gospel truth, you're saying that you're believing liars. Or I should say that you're saying that those people are liars and they're trying to get you to believe their lies. And then number four, number four, if you deny gospel truth like bodily resurrection, then you are still held captive in your sin. And this is where it gets personal and it gets real, church. Look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. I mean, here's the effect of saying that there's no resurrection. It's saying that Jesus didn't really conquer death and sin and hell. 
And therefore, you're still stuck in your sin. And think about the devastation of sin. I mean, let's meditate on the destruction of sin in a person's life, in a, in a family, in, in society. Like the sin of adultery. We've known people, right, that have committed adultery. The sin of adultery, it kills marriages. The sin of lies divides friendships and families and corporations. The sin of gossip poisons relationships. The sin of anger hurts people. The sin of rebellion causes societal chaos and anarchy. The sin of bitterness eats away at your soul. The sin of addiction shackles you with 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 the inescapable desire to drink alcohol, to gamble, to do drugs, to do entertainment in excess. And sin hurts, sin divides. And of course, most, most terribly, sin has killed the soul. Sin has caused permanent spiritual separation from God. And so here's the, here's the point. If Jesus didn't really resurrect from the tomb then there's no hope for us. We're all doomed to suffer under sin until we die, and then we're doomed to go to hell forever. In fact, that's what he says in verse number number 17 and 18. Look at verse 17 and 18. He says, verse 18, I mean, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And so the fourth or the fifth result of denying the resurrection is you are doomed to perish. Look at, look at verse 18. Notice where it says, those who have fallen asleep. You see that there in verse 18? See that in verse 18? Fallen asleep. That's a Christian phrase. As Christians, we believe when you close your eyes in death, it's not permanent. It's like going to sleep. There will be a day when you wake up and your eyes will open up in a new body, in a resurrected body. However, if you don't believe that Jesus truly rose from the tomb, then there's no hope after you die. It's hopeless. You're doomed to perish. And then last of all, the last result of denying gospel truth, verse 19. Look at verse 19 with me, church. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this is the best life you have and you have given your life over to Jesus Christ and there's no resurrection, there's nothing that's going to happen after the grave, then the world should pity us. Two weeks ago when we were at Ironwood, we were in the middle of the Mojave Desert. It was hot. (laughs) But they gave Dana and I, the camp gave Dana and I a four-wheeler. And so we could drive around wherever we wanted to go. So sometimes we would drive by these groups of teenagers walking to the next destination, and they're hot. They have their water bottles. Some of them forgot them back in their cabin or whatever it is. And we're driving by, and the, the breeze is hitting us in the face. I mean, it does feel like an oven just opened up, but it's still it's better than nothing, right? And it was hitting us in the face. And we looked at these poor teenagers, and honestly, we pitied them. It was kind of sad sometimes. Pity is what you feel when someone's suffering, right? And if Jesus didn't truly rise again from the dead and we've given our lives up for the gospel, then the world should pity us. Christians 
are a bunch of fools. I want you to just think about this and meditate on this. Because Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 16, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then don't do what Jesus said right there, right? I mean, don't come after him and deny yourself. Just live for yourself. You only got one life. Don't take up your cross. Why suffer for the gospel? Just live a comfortable life. I mean, be like the rich man in, in Luke chapter 12. He said, oh, what can I do? I need to build bigger barns. I need to get more stuff. And, and I need to increase my wealth. And so he did that and he died. And God said, you fool, tonight your soul is going to be required of you. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then he's not a fool. <laughs> Good thing he lived his life while he could. And why follow Jesus? He went to the tomb and he's dead. He's not coming back. But wait. Is Jesus risen? Is he risen? Yes. Jesus is risen. He is risen. What do we say? He is risen. He is risen and we say that in Easter. We probably should say that more. But it's the hope of this. It's not just that, yay, his body came back. He's in heaven. It's that, hey, there's going to be a day when our bodies will be resurrected. And we will have a body like his body. He is risen. Let's hear it. And so, since he is risen, therefore, what does that mean for us? That means he is the living victor and he can save you. He did defeat death, he did defeat sin, and he did defeat hell, and therefore, he has the power to rescue you. And that means if you're near without Jesus Christ, that he is the one that can rescue you from your sins. And if you do know the Lord every day, he is there as your rescuer. Sin does not need to dominate your life. He is the one who can empower you by his Holy Spirit to live in obedience. It means that God's word is true. It means that you can, you can trust God's word. Do you trust God's word? It means that you should love God's word. You should delight in God's word because this, the word tells us about the resurrection and we know it's true and therefore we can trust his holy word. Because Jesus is risen again, you can be freed from your sins. You can be released from your sins. The penalty of sins, the presence, the, the power of sin, and then someday the, the presence of sin. You can have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, he has the power to give you eternal life. And you'd be a fool not to give your life to Jesus Christ. The fact that he is alive means that there are loved ones that we know that have believed in Jesus. And there's a day when we're going to die and we're going to look at them and we're going to see them. And they're going to look like they did on earth in a resurrected body. And we're going to see them with real eyes because we have resurrected bodies. It means there's a day when we're going to look and see Jesus. We're going to see him face to face. We'll be able to see, see his, his scars and his hands and his feet and his side. The fact that he is alive is the reason a blind woman named Fanny Crosby could write this about Jesus. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side and his smile will be the first to welcome me. In other words, she's saying, I'm going to see him smile at me. 
I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the print of the nail in his hand. Here's a blind woman who says, my hope is in the fact that I will be able to see the resurrected Jesus Christ. One of the weeks that I taught for the teens, or for the camps, was a week where I had a long morning session, so I preached, but also I told a missionary story. And I've told you about this missionary before, so, but I told the story of John G. Payton, and I'm going to encourage you to go home and read more about him. It's a really incredible story. But he was a pastor in Glasgow, and he had a really good church, 500 people, very comfortable life in some sense. I mean, he was a pastor, so maybe it wasn't as comfortable as you might think, but definitely not what he was going to go to, and that was he believed God had called him to go to the New Hebrides Islands where there were cannibals. And see, around England, there had already been a number of stories about missionaries who had gone to these islands, they went on the island, they were killed, they were taken away, and they were eaten. And so this, there was a lot of fear about this, but he believed that the gospel could resurrect the, the souls of those who were cannibals on those islands. One day he was talking to a man, and this man just got all hot and heated, and he said, Mr. Dickinson was his name. He said, the cannibals, what are you doing? You're going to be eaten by cannibals. And he said, John Payton responded, you are very well advanced in years, sir. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the tomb. There you will be eaten by worms. And I confess that if I can live and die serving Jesus Christ, honoring him, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And then he said this, in the great day, my resurrected body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our living redeemer. In other words, he lived with the hope of resurrection. And so there's two points I want us to go away with. Number one is trust in the gospel truth. If you don't know the Lord, call upon him. He can save you and trust in the truth of Christ. And as Christians, we should be trusting that gospel truth every day. And then number two, I'm gonna take the application that actually Paul wants us to have Look down in verse 33, because the first command you see here in this text of scripture that I just taught through is actually found in verse 33. This is Paul's conclusion, and this is my second application, and that is, don't be deceived by false doctrine. Verse 33, do not be deceived, he says, bad company ruins good morals. And what he's saying here is that you can be deceived and led away to believe false doctrine. So the second application is study and grow in your understanding of doctrine. Like, do you desire to know more about God? We have this men's study on Wednesday morning. We're studying the Trinity and we are diving so deep our heads are hurting. But you know what? We love to learn about God because we love God. Do you desire to grow in your understanding of who God is? Do you love doctrine and want to grow in your knowledge of God? And so the second application is to study and grow in your knowledge of doctrine and be careful unless you might be deceived to adopt worldly doctrine. And that's what this verse is saying. Bad company, 
the world's values and doctrines can actually influence you, infect you, so that it ruins what you believe and therefore ruins your morals, how you live. That's what this is saying here. And I think this is a warning for us because we watch movies, right? You watch movies and you listen to that and they're constantly attacking our God and our values and what God's word says. And it can easily infect us and influence us. It can change what we believe and therefore change how we live. And so parents, we have to be careful about that, about this with our kids. Adults, we have to be careful about this with ourselves. Let's trust the gospel truth. Let's be careful about being led away, being deceived by the influence of worldly doctrine. May God use this text to help us to honor and live for him, trusting in his gospel. Let's pray.